imagine your life without tea, and if it's any different, you haven't learned anything from tea, is the idea that we were kind of also talking about before, which is that tea isn't just sitting down for tea. If you're a yoga practitioner, the asana is not your practice. It's part of your practice, but actually it should just be a small part of your practice. It's the one hour that you, you jump on the mat. You know, like, I mean, that's why karma yoga was so important to yoga practitioners because ultimately, I mean, how do you make your whole life yoga? Or how do you make your whole life serving tea? My teacher above his bed, it says, in every step, in every breath, I am making tea. And that's just it, is the more you more you understand and the more sensitive you become and the more you serve tea, you realize that the most important thing isn't the tea, isn't the teaware, isn't the music you're playing, isn't the chashi you lay. It's the mind and heart that you bring. And my teacher, he gets, the question he says that he gets asked more than anything else is what's your favorite kind of tea? And his answer is tea made with love. And Where he, can you buy that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from us. <laughs> I love that intro. That was Sam Gibbs. This is Doug at the podcast. Welcome to Duggett's episode. I don't even know. I haven't even checked. 30 something, I think. Um, yeah, the numbers aren't important, are they? This isn't a competition. Or is it? I don't think it is, though. Competition with the self. <clears throat> I'm sitting here. It's out a couple of days late, this one. I got a cold after traveling back from Mexico. And uh, sucking down Vancouver to LA. And then I flew to Mexico for two months. So I know you're feeling pretty sorry for me right now. But it's okay. I'm feeling okay. I'm in good spirits. It was an amazing trip. If you're thinking about doing something the same... Well, maybe a little different. I highly recommend it. Particularly the cycling part. Great fun. Use the blog warm showers. I'll probably do a little uh, recap of the trip anyway and just give some tips and tricks if you're going to go to that part of the world. A little FYI in Mexico, they give you a, a boarding pass, uh, like a, a visa pass thing as you come in the country, this piece of paper. And, and as I was leaving the back to New Zealand, the flight attendant wouldn't let me on the plane without it. And I, I didn't know what she was talking about. She said the piece of paper we gave you. And um, luckily I found it in my bag, but I didn't even know about that. So uh, make sure you hang on to that piece of paper if you go to Mexico. Don't don't let it go astray. Otherwise you won't be leaving anytime soon. But um, right back safe and sound and got tipped off about uh, Sam being in Mangawai potentially by my friend Nick Robson. Uh, a strange story, but I'd listened to sam's tea master guru teacher the man the myth the team zen monk also uh wuda on rich roll podcast a couple of times and kind of be real was really interested in in the art of tea making and the the teachings of wuda and zen and uh and then mesh just by chance uh nick Put me in touch with Sam, and Sam was back in Mangawai, and he's a disciple of Wuda and uh, teaches at the Global Tea Hut in in Taiwan, and their their tea center there. And uh, and he messaged me when I got back, and and managed to do a tea ceremony in Tiari, which was well in Mangawai at Sam's place, which was amazing. I didn't really know what to expect. I just kind of turned up. You know, it's like the 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 weird world we live in. It's you kind of think you know someone or you've heard about him or it's a recommendation of a friend. I'm like, well, this game of hug and we got chatting and just hit it off. And uh, they had a great little place, batch in Mangawai family batch then. And then Sam said, well, I'll serve you some tea. And uh, we didn't kind of, rather than trying to talk too much about it, we just did the ceremony and, uh, and it was like a wonderful meditation. He talks about words being secondary and that's something I'm quite into thinking less experienced more and I got to experience the full tea ceremony the bells whistles and kettles and the little uh oh, I forgot the name of the table lay the layout um in terms of how they set the table up it's really really beautiful and um and minimalist kind of a minimalist philosophy and 
and really refined the way you, you brew the water everything's kind of uh, done with the mindfulness which is um you know it's a really treat with the music you sit there you kind of meditate you drink the tea you must have about 10 cups i'd have a break to go to the toilet and um i think i may actually cut that out of the podcast though that seems to be the only problem when you're drinking lots of tea but i'm actually sitting here with a cup of uh English breakfast with almond milk is one of my go-tos. The other one's kind of ginger and peppermint, but Sam's going to get me some of the real McCoy. And you can actually sign up to Global Tea Hut, their newsletter, and they give you a tea, a uh, new tea with the letter. I think it's every month, and it's really, yeah, really cool. So I'm going to sign up for that, and I suggest you do the same. Um, great insights into tea philosophy, Zen, and you get to taste some of the goods as well. And uh, they go beyond organic. The well. You can kind of go down the rabbit hole with this stuff in terms of like how the pottery is made and what clay and and where, how the tea's made too and, and whether it's from uh, I'm not going to talk about it too much but I'd recommend listening to, if you want more of the same and uh, even a greater depth of insight listen to Wooda's podcast uh, on the Rich Roll podcast and uh, hopefully have Wooda on they're coming to tour New Zealand this summer They'll be at Wonderlast, and then a month after they'll be doing, uh, I think, Queenstown Christchurch, coming to Auckland as well, maybe Wellington, a couple other places. So I'm going to try and collaborate and make sure we get some tea events happening and um, get out to as many people as possible because it's, yeah, I mean, if you struggle with meditation or just being still or grounded, it's uh, or even staying hydrated, this is the way. It's uh, really profound, so hopefully you get to taste some of the, terrific teas of Sam and Wuda and uh, people around the world this coming summer and uh, maybe put the kettle on now get a good brew on and uh, tune in for a great conversation with Sam it was kind of a impromptu one that we did uh, before he left back to Taiwan so it's nice to fit it in but um, it's nice to be back in New Zealand much love to everyone and I've got this book uh, Tools of Titans too if you're looking for something to read with your tea the Tim Ferriss Tools of Titans book Ooh, it's a good one I'm just halfway into it so we uh, get the show on the road. So here is Sam from Global Tea Hut, changing the world bowl by bowl, one podcast at a time, one tea at a time. And uh, got Franco Hickey again in the background with the beautiful music. So you better catch Franco at one last in these events as well. So good music, good tea, good times. Enjoy Bon Appetit. Think less, experience more. Hope you dug this one. I certainly did. Welcome, Sam, to Tiari, back from Taiwan. Um, It's a little bit of background. Uh, I've just come from a tea ceremony with Sam and I actually listened to the Rich Roll podcast with, do you pronounce it Wuda? Wuda, yeah. Wuda, um, a tea master and Zen monk, correct? Yeah, I mean, we don't like to propagate it too much. <laughs> um, my teacher actually would say that there's there's no such thing as a master until, until he, they're dead. And that until we die, we're actually all students. So oh, <laughs> perhaps that's... he would prefer until he's dead that we call him <laughs> Another tea student, a student, a student of, of life. Yeah. yeah, actually on his business card, it says student of the leaf. Oh, so, oh, lovely. Yeah. I like that. I craft it, but okay, we're back. So that's, um, but that was the Rich Roll podcast, which first introduced me to Wooter and the tea ceremony. And, um, and then by chance, my friend Nick Robson had been talking to you. Mm-hmm. And did he recommend to get in touch or he was saying you're coming to New Zealand? Yeah, I can't quite remember where the connection came, but um, yeah, Nick put me in touch with you. I think I was asking like some other people in Auckland because I knew I was coming back to New Zealand, and obviously I'm always sort of interested in sharing tea whenever I'm back and get more people in New Zealand into it. And you just happened to be up in Mangawai, Tiari too, so from the same neck of the woods, mm-hmm. and um, and then did this wonderful tea ceremony this morning, which was. Uh, Something else I was trying to think of it at the time, like unveiling the the curtain of life, like seeing behind, like, yeah, it was a truly kind of amazing experience. One of those ones you kind of have on a retreat or somewhere, and mm. it's hard to describe what we we're talking about, words being secondary. But, um, so if people are obviously 
not everyone knows who you are, who Wuda is. So how would you describe what, what you guys do at the Global Tea Hut in, in Taiwan? I mean, it's an interesting segue that you say that like, uh, you know, during a tea ceremony, you had an experience that was sort of as deep as sort of on retreat or something like that, a quite a deep experience. And I think, you know, like in, in Western culture, we see sort of spiritual life and our everyday life as being two almost very different things. You know, we kind of separate them. We have this uh, line between them. But uh, in Eastern culture, especially in China, that was never really the case, or in Japan, the, the idea of temporary ordination, becoming a monk for whether it was an hour or two or an a, a day or an, even in a week, uh, it was never a, a foreign idea. So having tea was always... Um, a space in which there was no sort of gender or, you know, class or it was a way to sort of let go of a lot of these social constraints and become a monk or a nun for whether it was an hour or two. And um, So I think it's interesting that you sort of mention that because, I mean, that is one thing that sort of, for me, tea has always uh, allowed me to share is that moment of deeper connection with people who are either a monk or a nun or not and it doesn't matter about that it doesn't it doesn't um there's not that separation there so it doesn't matter that neither of us are on retreat and we're just sort of sitting at my place at Mangawai. we can still have that deep experience and enter in and as you was talking about unveiling the, the curtain um so where i live which is called the tea sage hut is part of a bigger organization or uh, we're a non-profit, and we also have Global Tea Hut, which is our magazine. And basically, our mission is sort of the uh, awakening of consciousness uh, through the leaf, through tea. So, I mean, my teacher, Wudo, always says that the world doesn't have uh, environmental problems, or it doesn't have political problems. It has heart problems. And I think the more that we practice and the more that we look into ourselves, we see that so much of what we think is going wrong and the world has actually also gone wrong within us and you know there's this dichotomy or this thing we have to work out inside like what's the line between working out my own healing and my own salvation and also working for the salvation and healing of the world around me and um, how do I share what I sort of cultivate on the mat or on the cushion or at the tea table how do I share that with other people and how do I awaken other people to their own need for healing and their own expansiveness and their own compassion and love that's within them. And for me, that's one of the most beautiful things about tea is that it offers that. And it's, uh, as I was saying to you after tea, it's, um, who am I? My teacher always says, who am I to have all these people come over the world and, and what an honor that I can share tea with them. And I honestly feel the same thing. I mean, who am I? I mean, like I just a troublemaker you know like I've always been a troublemaker and I still am a troublemaker and uh, I'm in no way more like spiritual or better or any of these things than anyone else and that's the great thing about tea as a practice is none of it's actually about me the only thing that's important is my ability to step out of the way the more I step out of the way the better it is and I mean so much of our practice and much of what we teach is about not only sort of practicalities around sort of tea, or we have, we have sort of these, these, these two elements to tea, which is one of the, is that it's this kind of linear, material, worldly thing, you know, like there is teaware and there is this plant and all this, and there's also this, uh, this deeper element to it, or not, not deeper or not better, it's, that's probably the wrong words, but there's this other element to it, which is that it's as a practice, as a cultivation. And so, you know, like at our school, uh, we teach both sort of the practical linear knowledge and the non-linear knowledge. We teach both sort of to distinguish between the seven genres of tea uh, and to understand where the leaf comes from and uh, the best way to brew it, but also how to approach it as a ceremony, how to use it as a tool for transformation, not only for your life, but for the lives of those you love and for people you meet in your life. Beautiful. Because um, the... For, I think we were doing the Rich Roll podcast, you said when you invite someone in, or you share tea, you invite them into almost like your home 
and I can't, you know, I hadn't met you and you can't turn up at this batch and it's just like another brother from New Zealand. Yeah. And then the ceremony was, um, yeah, it was something special. We talked about how you lay the, what do you call the, the, the setting? The shashi. Chashi. Chashi. Yeah. So the, the um, tea stage. Yeah. It's, it, it's, um, it's almost like the master of any art. There's continual layers of detail and refinement of, and obviously this is a practice that's been around for thousands of years that's been refined and I just picked up all the details like how you laid the table out and how the water brewed. You had two pots on either side and two bowls and then the way you handled it and poured it. Um, a bit like what probably where some of the coffee artistry is, is people appreciating the process and... Um, the whole experience was kind of hard to put in words, but it was um, beautiful. But it's interesting how, yeah, what, what, because you talked briefly about what led you into it, but um, have you got kind of like a quick summary of what, because you talked about teaching and obviously wanted to help and contribute and mm. doing stuff with the UN and then ending up with tea. Mm. Like, what, did, what does that story look like growing up in, you said, Devonport in New Zealand? Mm -hmm. And was it a pretty traditional Kiwi kind of upbringing? And then you've, uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, <laughs> I think the important thing to say, like preface anything that I say about my story is that it is just that, a story, and much of it's filtered, obviously, through my conceptions and preceptions and uh, memories that often get skewed, and the only real value of telling a story is, uh, uh, I guess, I mean, you know, the myth, the pur purpose of myth is as an inspiration, not as a factual reference, you know. You could say the story of Buddha is, is a myth, and the purpose of it is to inspire you to practice, and not that I think my story's <laughs> <laughs> inspiration necessarily for practice, but um, just that, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's funny, because I think, like, telling your story is something that you often end up doing and then you sort of feel rote in doing it almost like it's like oh man i'm repeating this thing again and you almost get bored in and, in and of yourself but i think you know the purpose of of telling story is hopefully to and sort of inspire in some way or something that someone can sort of maybe take something from it so it's almost a little <laughs> a little precipice but yeah i've been trying to think almost how to rephrase it because like you say we can repeat these stories to ourselves and then have to like live them because <laughs> My parents tell people I'm this, and I tell myself this, and then I've got to kind of meet up this. But yeah, I'm always intrigued of like, what, almost like more, what was the pain or this moment that, yeah, you know, kind of changed. I remember being in advertising, and for I don't know what day it was, I started listening to the Rich Roll podcast, I started questioning life more. Maybe it's a ch changing age thing. I'm like, I could die. Like, people die at any age. I, I realized I could die. Like, why it was so motivating to try mm. something else and mm -hmm. liberating and um uh, you know it might be something completely interesting to you it might just be a slow yeah. <laughs> like brew over time there so <laughs> yeah i look at look i think like uh all of us go on sort of many sort of journeys within our life and i mean like as i say i have no problem <laughs> sharing mine i'm just sort of uh more like just putting the the side note that you know like it's uh, especially for me I'm incredibly heady and I have the tendency to get stuck in my head and stuck in my ideas about who I am and so just to note that none of us are really our story you know like in, in Zen we say kill the Buddha kill the parents and then kill the teacher and kill the parents is kill your story kill the idea that you are limited to your story because you're not. So I guess that was more the point that I kind of wanted to put a put like, in be before I sort of yeah, went into too much. I really I'm, like that. Yeah, and I think it's important. I think um, just noting that because I definitely get stuck in my story. Um, and I don't know. I mean, like, it depends how far back you want to go. I mean, I could go back to sort of my early early education or maybe not that early but sort of I remember being 10 or 12 and my parents moved me to a uh, Presbyterian school actually because I was struggling in, in the school system that I was in and um, you know I always struggled at school when I was younger and I mean like I had one of my parents told um, one of my teachers told my parents that I was going to end up living on the street um, when I was like eight and you know, like I was very, very far behind, but my parents, 
I'm lucky enough to come from a wealthy family and I mean I think there's a lot of like individual benefits that come from that and that I was lucky enough to to sort of be born in that sort of family obviously I think you have to have reverence and gratitude to that but so that I was able to go to a good school that kind of sorted sorted me out as you <laughs> in some senses anyway but one of the things that was probably the most powerful to kind of reflect back on that was uh it gave me this sort of tangible experience of spirit or spirituality or prayer or you know like I identified as a Christian even though like sort of my family didn't but I remember praying every night and I remember feeling that connection to something beyond me and as I said like even though I then hit 13 puberty happened and then as a teenager I think (laughs) (laughs) any of that stuff (laughs) yeah yeah. Yeah, I think there were (laughs) other things I was interested in and but it was uh when I came back I think I did a Vipassana course and I was like 23 I was sort of searching I similar to you I was doing postgraduate marketing and kind of had this sort of snap halfway through and I was just like start I think I started reading AdWords or Adbusters or whatever it was you know like the anti sort of capitalist uh whatever and got very into that sort of uh antagonistic approach to the world you know like you see the pain and the suffering and Mm. I think when you're sensitive to it and feel a lot of pain and suffering in yourself and you see that in society there's a part of you that wants to get mad or angry or just like feels the hurt you know like feels the hurt of others and uh so i I had that experience very deeply and kind of had this huge shift and this breakdown basically about what the hell am i doing and so then i switched my i thought okay like i'll i'll do my thesis on uh uh similar to as we were talking before like uh how do I use marketing to help people? So I moved into sort of did my thesis with UNICEF and on why people donated. And then after doing that, I kind of like, no, I want to go and, you know, like work in the field. You know, I have to like be with the people who are suffering. That's what I got to do. And so then I went back to uni and did like another master's thesis. And that was actually on the relationship between internal and external peace. So that was when I was really grappling with this idea of, you know, like wanting to delve really deep into my practice, but also being really sensitive and feeling the pain of the world that we live in. And just this kind of like grip between the two, because I was living beautiful ashram and Takaka in New Zealand. Like we used to watch the sunrise every morning over the sea and quiet. And you're sort of there and you're just like, wow, this is like beautiful. But how do I forget everyone else? You know, like, and of course you're never separate from, any of the suffering in the world, I don't think. But I think at that point in my practice, I was really struggling with that. So I wrote my thesis on that and sort of came to the conclusion that I needed to go to West Africa <laughs> and dive into as much of the suffering as I could. And I did that and it messed me up. <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's a hard thing to look in the face, like really look in the face and, and see that and watch people really going through it and I think also because you're not fully in it you know like even though I was there and living in the village with uh people I still still no matter what happened I could call up my mum and dad and have a way out you know like I was um you know Pablo Ferrer who I mentioned earlier you know the he's a liberation um educationist and he he talked about the pedagogy of the press that you know, like, you can't go in as an oppressor, as, like, as someone who grew up in Devonport, into West Africa war zones, um, and, and help. And that's not to say that you can't help, but that the, the greatest help for those people is going to come from them. And so maybe the facilitation of that would be better or something. But anyway, so then I was sort of in West Africa and got very, very... Uh, engrossed in the pains of others and then the pain of myself and it all sort of grew and it sort of accumulated with me meeting a girl (laughs) (laughs) and deciding that you know like that's what was missing from my life was that I needed to love and to be loved and Mm. anyway so ran off with a girl (laughs) (laughs) and uh we ended up in Vancouver and um uh as I was telling you sort of went into a little Chinese shop and they were making tea and it was very beautiful and I was just drawn to it and I'd always been drawn to it. I remember, uh, yeah, like always, I mean, at university I had a tea, 
tea set up in my room at university, which is funny because I never really clicked on that, and people would come around and have tea with me. And, you know, like I also did mushrooms in that teapot. You know, it wasn't like some <laughs> high spiritual thing, but tea was always important to me. Um, and I always was like just loved the space that it provided, but there wasn't something that really clicked till later on. But I just remember watching this... Uh, this man making tea and just feeling so inspired by it and just like the beauty of it and the grace of it and all the little parts. And um, and so then like it was something that stuck with me for a while and then eventually uh, I got to the point that I just wanted to learn. And so I looked online and uh, found my teacher's school and visited one time and then three months later went back again and then six months later went back again and took initiation, which is sort of the first stage in entering into the tradition and then six months later, moved there. So the tradition is, it's a tea-specific tradition, or is it related to Buddhism, or is it, it um, yeah, how would you sum, sum that up? Um, so we like to say that we're just a tea center, and then you could put a full stop there. Mm. Um, but we also can say that we're a tea and zen center, and... I think the reason that you can drop out the Zen is because, uh, you know, in Japanese they say tea and Zen are one flavor. And so, I mean, what that means to us is that, uh, you know, Zen in its, its purest form isn't a Buddhist practice. It isn't not a Buddhist practice, but it isn't a Buddhist practice. It's a mind. So it's the meditative mind. So... Zen comes from Chan in Chinese, which comes from Dhyana in, in Sanskrit. And so Dhyana is the meditative mind. It's the, it's the experience. It's exactly what we were talking about before, that the experience of drinking tea and the words of drinking tea are two very different things. It's the finger that points at the moon is not the moon. So Zen is a finger pointing at the moon. Or Zen in terms of Zen Buddhism is a finger pointing at the moon, which is Zen, which is the meditative mind. But there are lots of fingers that point at the moon. And so, you know, like, Buddha always says, I'm not a Buddhist. And I've started saying it as well now. <laughs> Even though, like, part of me, I, I do very deeply connect with, like, sort of Buddhist teachings and Buddhism as a tradition. But, I mean, Buddha always says that, you know, like, no one, no one throughout time ever called themselves a Buddhist. It's an English word that was sort of given to it. Um, the, the Buddha, which, who was a person, he taught uh, a practice, which was a way to come out of suffering. It was almost like a psychology, as opposed to some esoteric religion. Mm. You know, uh, when people came to him and asked him, is there a God? Is there this? Is there that? Is there past lives? Is, you know, like, is there future lives? When people came to him with these questions, he wouldn't answer. He was silent. And, you know, there's one story where one person comes to him and says, like, I can't keep, I can't practice unless you answer my questions. And he sort of looks at him and says, did I ever promise you to answer these questions? And he says, you're like someone who's been shot with an arrow. And before you let us take you to the doctor and take it out, you want to know who shot the arrow, what the arrow's made of, where they got the, the metal from, and all these other questions that aren't going to get the arrow out and aren't going to patch you up. And actually, that's the most important thing. You know, that's the thing that's really going to make you happy in your life, and that's the thing that's really going to... You, you're bleeding, you know? You're wounded and you're bleeding, and all of us are. And so we need to, like, heal that before we worry about anything else. That's the most important thing we can do. Our world is wounded and healing, you know? Look at New Zealand. Like it's, New Zealand makes me, like, I love, I love New Zealand so much, almost too much, because, you know, like I, shouldn't, I, <laughs> I shouldn't have an identity around. I shouldn't have, like, but I love New Zealand, and I feel home here. And, but it makes me sad because, you know, like, our country is sort of, you look at our rivers, look at the damage we've done, you know? Like, I think... My teacher, he loves Lord of the Rings, like in, <laughs> in almost like a weirdly obsessive way. <laughs> so when he came to New Zealand, when we did a tour two years ago, I took him to Hobbiton. Uh, and, um, you know, he loved it. But as we were driving over the hill, you know, the bus driver was like saying, look out over like the beautiful, untouched, natural environment. 
And it was just as far as you could see, farmland. And, you know, it was just the segment. I mean, pre-Europeans, New Zealand was 75% forest. You know, it's less than 5% now. Um, you know, 61% of our rivers are unswimmable. Manawatu is the dirtiest river in the, in the developed world by double. Uh, maybe dirtiest isn't the best word to use, unhealthy. I mean, it has mm. very high ecolite, nitrogen, very low oxygen levels. And, I mean, we were talking before about how important water is in our healing. And mm. tea is 99% water. You know, we're 80, 70, 50% water, depending on the time of the day and how much we drink and all these other things. And, I mean, looking too much into the numbers isn't really, it's missing the point of what I'm talking about, which is that, you know, we... We, have, we as a country have just damaged so much of what we do and um, so much of where we live and the thing that we think is so beautiful and that we all love so much and we've just, we've damaged it. And I mean, same thing with tea. Tea's one of the most destructive plants. Well, agricultural cops, it's not a destructive plant, obviously, but when it's uh, an agricultural product, it's hugely detrimental because, you know, they go into a hilltop, deforest the top, plant all these rows and everyone says oh wow look how beautiful it is but then they're spraying them with agrochemicals that are running down you know there was one mountain the most famous mountain in taiwan they just had to shut down because six or seven villages whole water table was affected and so you know i mean the question is always like how can you treat this as like a a spiritual medicine or a medicine that's going to connect you to yourself and others and the planet when you're actually destroying the planet and other people, I mean, you know, a lot of the farmers that we work with who are switching to organic or beyond organic, you know, wild living teas, as we call them, which are seed propagated, have room to grow. Uh, there's a relationship between the, the farmer and the leaf, and there's no irrigation and obviously no pesticides and things like that. So this is sort of like a step mm. beyond organic, um, or quite a big step beyond organic. But even the ones who are switching to organic, they're doing it because they're the ones who have been affected. One of the the farmers we work with a lot, Mr. Cher, his, his whole family, his dad died of cancer and all, his older brothers sort of had cancer and stuff from the pesticides that they spray. Because what happens is, you know, like a lot of the, the chemicals um, that are deemed to be unsafe in the West just get sent to China. And then you're putting hot water on it. So you bring, I mean, like it's, it's, just, um, it's just another example of sort of the commercialization of sacred herbs is sort of leading to them not having the same impact on us as a person, but, and then a negative impact on the planet. So I think, you know, like, we live on this globe, you know, there's no way you can escape. If you put gas, like greenhouse gas in the air, then it affects everyone. If you pollute the water, I mean, the, the water cycle doesn't end. It's a cycle. So if I poison the water in China, that's poisoning the water here. Or if we poison the water here, we're poisoning the water in China, and, you know, that's why, like, uh, we can't sort of segment sort of countries and seek to sort of blame someone or blame someone else. It all has to be our own responsibility. We all have to be working towards these things within ourselves. Um, so how do I heal myself and heal my wounds? But then the greater question is, how do I also heal the wounds of both others? Or, I mean, not that you can heal other people's wounds, but societal wounds, political wounds... Um, environmental ones, and that's as my teacher says, we don't have wounds of of these other things, but it's all wounds of our heart. So how do we heal our heart? How do we feel connected to the earth? So I don't want to poison it. So I tangibly feel I don't put my hand in the fire because it burns. I don't not put it in because I intellectually know that it burns because it burns. And probably when I was younger, I put my hand on fire and it burnt me. So I feel that that's tacit that that connection. So how do I start to cultivate? A connection where I feel that way about my environment, about my brother, about my sisters, about all these other beings that live in this earth. How do I create a connection where I can feel this, their suffering and their pain and, and want to protect them? And that, yeah, I think uh, I even heard a tech guy talk about nationalism as the new racism, or because mm. <laughs> we're. I was sitting there enjoying this tea. I was kind of like half smiling, half crying almost. Just being like, this is so wonderful. How did I... Why am I lucky enough to experience this? Like come back from Mexico and travels and be in this beautiful country and eating amazing food and have this new house that my family's building. And I'm like, this is none of my doing. Mm. Um, I'm just happy to kind of 
enjoy it and then hopefully share it. But um, it was like, we're just lucky to be, uh, a friend say, just like caretakers of whatever we've got. You know, we don't really have anything. We're just kind of caretakers for it to pass it on. So yeah, how can we be the caretakers in New Zealand and then the, the world? But the connection to, um, I know on that Wuda podcast with Rich, we're always talking about that connection's always there. It's the feeling that's kind of lost and the tea just when I was drinking that tea and my yoga teacher friend Vincent Belletta talked about like his greatest gift in his teachings was telling people to slow down or like great things happen when you slow down and I just thought of that I'm like well everything's just slowed down and you mm. just appreciate mm. it and you, <laughs> the distractions of life have disappeared and you can sit with thoughts and there's no because for those at home it was maybe like 40 minutes half an hour I tell well, people that it was actually longer. Well, it was much longer. Well, it flew by anyway, but um, yeah, it's, and I don't know, probably have 10 cups of tea or so, and, and, but in silence, and you had beautiful kind of music on, and, and it was like a really immersive experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you get that deep level of connection appreciation, but then it's like, how do you keep that when you go back into like, my mum's cleaning the house now we got yeah. builders coming and going and got it. and it's like but when you get that done at the start of your day or it gives you just more space a friend told me the other day he said he's been medit- he just loves meditation at the moment like it's like the mm. most greatest thing in his life and um and which is pretty cool I'm like, I don't know many people who talk about meditation like they're excited to go do it above anything else but how he said everything slows down it's mm. like he's everything's just you can enjoy the moment and, and everything's got a layer of quality to it, which, which you know, you have those days where everything's rushed and you're forcing it. And, mm. and I felt like you talked about um, the tea being a meditation without having to sit and meditate. Mm. And, uh, and I love that. And I loved Esalen Institute and, and reading their book and Big Sur and it was the religion and no religion. Mm. And I thought of that as well, the tea mm. thing. It was a... Uh, someone you talked about having no ideology or no kind of preachings or enjoy it your way do whatever you want just here it is as a gift and mm. and i thought it was um great in your teachings at school you said that children lapped it up at schools as an experience and mm. uh yeah so I, th- <laughs> I don't know where i'm going with this but it was good it was really good <laughs> yeah and i think you know like um yeah, as with everything, there's always a lot in that. I mean, yeah, I think that was one of the moments that really clicked for me as like a practice was when I was a high school teacher in the Northern Territory. And, you know, like actually, um, it, I just sort of had like a switch, you know, like I've been meditating or trying to practice meditation for, uh, you know, five or six years and had never really had a solid, solid daily practice. You know, like it was always kind of, and I really wanted to do that and was quite committed to doing that and so I sort of started in my practice was you know meditating yoga and tea so I'd do that every morning and then in the evenings I was meditating but we went on like a school camp and so I had to keep up my practice I mean that was one part of the thing and so I was up at 5 a.m drinking tea and uh, a couple of the kids kind of got up and they were like oh sir what are you doing and I was like, oh, I'm drinking tea. And so a couple of them asked to sort of do it, like have tea with me. And I thought they were kind of just being nice because they liked me and they wanted to kind of like to hang with me. And they kind of thought I was a little bit weird, but you know, like, uh, and so I did it with a couple of them. And I was just amazed by it. I mean, some of the things to you, I mean, the uh, two girls, we kind of sat down by the, um, by the river and we drank tea and we only probably had about five bowls in silence. And then we were kind of walking back and they were talking about, and they were sort of walking ahead of me and um, I could hear them talking and they were like, oh, did you see the way the sun was coming through the leaves? And the other one was like, yeah. And did you see all the veins in the leaves? It was amazing. Like I never, I never saw that or I never took the time to look at that. And so then the next morning at 5 a.m. there were sort of five people. And then by the end of the camp I had 12 kids at 5 a.m. And this is like 13-year-old kids <laughs> like drinking tea and then asking for more ceremonies and actually like, the principal who was on the camp, we had like one night where like two of like the roughest kids in the school were just, they were like shredding kids' tents down and just causing a ruckus and she made me make tea for them at midnight and so we sat under the stars and had, I think they had like two bowls and then they just went and passed out. 
And, uh, but it was amazing. And then we got back and the kids were all asking for tea ceremony. And, you know, um, teaching teenagers is, is hard work. Um, it, I loved it. Like, I, I really, really was one of the great honors of my life is, like, being part of... Uh, being around people who are form, formulating ideas and perceptions of the world and kind of to be involved in that and just offer perspective and space and, and nurturing for that. But We well, talked about, too, the, the up to the age of 10, you're creating no new memories. Well, up, I like that. Uh, I was saying that, like, up to the age of 10, we our brain is sort of imprinting new experiences, and then after that period, our brain actually merely compares it to to the experiences that we've all kind of already kind of formulated. Um, and then we were kind of relating that back to public health. And now the younger you get people, the more impact you can have on their life. So I think for every $3 you spend, or every dollar you spend on under threes in public health, it works out to be about $150 worth of value uh, when they're teenagers. So, I mean, actually, you could almost make the, the, the argument that teenagers is too late to start. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, it was younger than anyone caught me. <laughs> and I turned out, well, <laughs> how I turned out. But, um, you know, but it was amazing because I'd been trying to get these kids to meditate for two hours every day. Um, or not, for two minutes every day. And it never, never picked up and they'd always kind of had resistance to it. And they'd always, but then as soon as I started serving tea, they'd sit for an hour and they'd sit in silence and they'd be, just engrossed in it and they keep coming back and as I said on the camp they get up at 5am and I don't know it's, it stems into it like I mean like tea isn't not meditation and meditation isn't not tea I mean uh, I think you know uh, we have to like sitting and practicing formal meditation is good it's a good practice of emptying ourselves Ricky or the most famous of all the tea saints sort of from China I'm from Japan, sorry. He said, imagine your life without tea. And if it's any different, you haven't learned anything from tea. Cool. I can... Is your mate here? Yeah, he can, oh, come, cool. he can yeah, just yeah. come in. And... So what's his name? Chris. Oh, Chris, is it? Yeah. Oh, dog man, come in. Mate, just having a bit of a chat with Sam at Wolfen. We can uh, wrap it up. Hey, bro. Uh, hey, bro. <laughs> what's going on, man? Oh, buddy. <laughs> yeah, come in, dude. I'll pull up a seat. We can wrap it up. Oh, we're about to, we, can, we can start to wrap it up. And um, and uh, you got the jet ski too, huh? Yeah. Take that for a burn. Yeah, man. Nice. <laughs> jet ski fit. Oh, if you want to sit on the... Mattress, bro. Um, we're just kind of spinning a bit of a yarn. Chilling tea. Yeah. Um, but we can wrap it up. Yeah, now if you want. Like two of the couple of questions I was going to... What were we talking about just before? We were but, just um, talking about like meditation and how... Oh, like, yeah. Tea, I mean, the thing I think I was going to say that I think is important to say about like, you know, like imagine your life without tea and if it's any different, you haven't learned anything from tea, is the idea that we were kind of also talking about before, which is that tea isn't just sitting down for tea. If you're a yoga practitioner, the asana is not your practice. It's part of your practice, but actually it should just be a small part of your practice. It's the one hour that you, you jump on the mat. You know, like, I mean, that's why karma yoga was so important to yoga practitioners because ultimately, I mean, how do you make your whole life yoga? Or how do you make your whole life surfing tea? My teacher above his bed, it says, in every step, in every breath, I am making tea. And that's just it, is the more you more you understand and the more sensitive you become and the more you serve tea, you realize that the most important thing isn't the tea, isn't the teaware, isn't the music you're playing, isn't the chashi you lay. It's the mind and heart that you bring. And my teacher, he gets, the question he says that he gets asked more than anything else is what's your favorite kind of tea? And his answer is tea made with love. And Where can you buy that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from us. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, and this is it. And he gives this beautiful example. Um, and I won't go into the details because I wasn't there and probably can't relay it with the same. But where basically him and a, a student of his ended up at another lady's house and they, she had no idea who he was. 
and she served him some chamomile and like some, you know, like, and it was one of the most transcendental experiences that he'd have drinking tea in many, many years. And a big part of it was because this, this lady was so full of love and gratitude because they'd just come and visited her new house after moving and uh, she had no idea who he was. So people, I think, often kind of think, oh, you know, like, I can't serve him tea or they sort of get all these hang-ups in his mind. So this lady had no hang-ups completely open and full of like gratitude for him coming there and he said it was one of the best tea sessions he's had and he wasn't even drinking tea and you know so this idea that um and it's not to say that the tea and the tea wear isn't important but that you know like our heart and our mind that we bring when we sit down is the most important thing and how much we can like uh how much we can sort of empty ourselves of ourselves and so of course a seated meditation practice is going to help you with that you know but, uh, you know, like, uh, ultimately, uh, as the sort of dot, dot, dot line at the end of anything, like, so, should be for the good of all beings. So I, we meditate, but we do that for the good of all beings. You know, I serve tea, but I want to serve tea for the good of all beings. I want to make my action in my life a service beyond myself. And ultimately, that's sort of, I think... I haven't fully actualized this to any real degree yet, but I think that's where the real juju and the real meaning and the real pith of life is, is, you know, like, as Mother Teresa said, let them devour you. Let, let the suffering devour you. And we're all suffering. So give Beautiful. yourself up. And what's, um, what's, uh, what's your tea ritual look like now, your tea practice or your daily practice? What would an, a normal day in the life of... Uh... Sam, look like? Um, <laughs> my, my personal daily practice has, <laughs> has very much withered away, um, and that's my own sort of fault, but also because I live at a center mm. where, you know, I wake up and either I'm sort of sitting with the community or I'm cooking for the community. Then I'm sort of preparing uh, or setting up for tea for the community and drinking tea with the community or making lunch for the community. And then we're sort of eating lunch together and then I'm either kind of like working on the computer, doing social media or emails or scheduling or I'm uh, facilitating lessons. So when people come and stay with us, they also get, we have lessons in the afternoon and we also do service. So either we'd be facilitating those or on the computer and then the evening meditating again. So, you know, there's an element to which I don't have that much personal or free time and um, sometimes, um, you know, that's something I struggle with a lot, you know, like, and kind of like resist against it. But ultimately, more and more as you go, it's about making whatever you're doing the practice. And probably the other people, three people that I live with are much better at it than me. But, you know, like in terms of like putting yourself fully into what you're doing and making that your meditation, I mean whether your meditation is observing sensation or breath or whatever it is, I mean, you can be doing that whenever. Mm. Um, you can be practicing emptiness and compassion whenever. And actually, it's probably more compassionate and more empty if it's not something restricted to yourself. So if I'm cooking food for others and I'm fully putting myself into that and, uh, you know, just cutting the carrots, just cutting the carrots, just cutting the carrots, then that is as high a meditation as probably anything else, you know, like, or, or as equally high, you could say. Mm. I mean, there isn't, isn't any good or bad unless thinking make it so, and there isn't any meditation or non-meditation unless thinking make it so. I like that. And, um, and where can, where can people find you? So Global Tea Hut is the magazine and that's the the website too or the so we have we have two two uh sort of branches of really what we're doing so we have uh global tea hut which is our magazine so it's everything we do is for for free or for donation or like uh so as i said to you we had we have the words of baisal who's a very famous uh zen practitioner um and he left uh he left the monastery to become a tea seller and on the side of his cart while he was selling tea, which was the lowest job at the time. Um, because, I mean, Buddhism and, and Zen has had all the problems that Catholicism has in every big institutionalized religion, you know, standing armies, um, 
you know, corruption, all of these things, and he was disillusioned by it. So he took on the lowest role of the time, which was to be a tea seller by, by the side of the road. And so he had his rickety old cart, and on the side of it it said, you know, the price of this tea is anything from a penny to 10,000 in gold, otherwise it's free. And I only wish that I could give it to you for less. So that's sort of what we have taken on very much as our approach to money. And we were talking before that we live in like a capitalist sort of world where you have to you have to sort of balance the earth, the money, and the heaven. You know, like you you have to come back and have your feet on the ground while having your head in the sky. You can't just be in the sky. Um, so I mean, we have our magazine, which is all done on donation. It's a monthly magazine. It's probably obviously I might have some level of bias, but the best publication in the world in English on tea, uh, partly because it's holistic. Um, it has everything from the linear, you know, factual things you want to learn about tea to the spiritual to all the other small little elements. And all, beyond that, it also has community. So every month, for example, in the back, we have a tea wayfarer, which is introducing one member of our community, connect through like social media. And as I say, we're building an app to really connect people who are hosting tea ceremonies and trying to connect through the leaf. Um, and then as well as that, you also get a tea. So as I said, like tea is, can be incredibly uh, damaging to the environment. And if you want, uh, you know, like my teacher always talks that sort of medicine is both uh, the herbs and the prescription. So you need both the prescription, the right prescription and the right herbs, and one doesn't work without the other. So you need to get the right herbs, you know, like... Uh, leaves that are grown in the right way that are treated with reverence and it's not to say that you know like other tea leaves you can't connect in the same way they still have that but uh so we you get a tea every month and then you also get a gift um so we always sort of go out and find a little tea gift and a lot of love goes into it and it comes in a big beautiful brown uh envelope and it'll be the best bit of mail you get every month i guarantee <laughs> so much love goes into it and it's all for donation go on our website global tea hut Dot org, and you can choose the amount you want to give, and it all goes towards uh, supporting our current centre and then also building our new centre. So at the moment we're in a very small place, which is the tea school that we have, which is called Tea Sage Hut. So Tea Sage Hut, so it's a, a free school of tea and Zen, <laughs> um, and so you can come and you can learn how to make tea, how to serve tea, as we say in our tradition. You can learn how to meditate. We sort of live. Uh, a very simple life and we um, just try and teach people how to connect um, with the practice that we obviously love and has been so transformational for everyone there and uh, allow people to kind of take that back so that's tshhut.org and our current center is quite small so actually like I think we only have four or five spots at any time so we're often very full and that's what in part why we're trying to build a new center which is called Light Meets Life um, and that's going to be the biggest free tea center in the world uh, we have up to 50 people there it'll be sort of course schedules all year round and so we're trying to get 2,000 members to global tea hut and so once we do that um we can start building and so Wuda, Wuda my teacher travels a lot to try and spread that he's coming to both new zealand and australia he's going to be new zealand in february for wanderlust um and he's, uh, then also coming back in march and we're going to be uh, in both Australia and New Zealand. Uh, we haven't quite uh, got all the specific dates and things worked out, but we should be in both the North and the South Island, and we're going to be in Sydney and Brisbane and Noosa and uh, Byron as well. And so that'll be sort of mid-March to the end of March, so you can kind of connect with us on Facebook or Instagram, um, Global Tea Hut, uh, and there'll be lots of information sort of coming about that once it all becomes solidified. Beautiful. Yeah, I can't wait to experience uh, another ceremony with Wudan with the other group of people and see their their take on it too. And I think, uh, yeah, it'll be a great introduction and to, to meet you guys as well. As, um, yeah, to learn from the masters or the people that are doing it, it's, it's, it's something different. Um, and any kind of recommendations, films, books, uh, anything that you love or that you recommend tea or non-tea related um so tea related obviously again biased but i'm gonna say global tea yeah. hut sign up uh as we were saying before i mean any movies or books that you read are 
it's just the sort of leftovers from the actual experience. So Global Tea Hut, you get the tea and then you sit down and do, you know, like we have lots of videos on YouTube, check out our YouTube channel. It has all the sort of uh, instructions on how you can brew very simple tea. You don't need anything other than just a bowl, which everyone has. Don't need a lot to start a tea practice. I would say that is above and everything else is start drinking tea. You know, like my teacher always says, take 15 minutes at the start of every day before you do anything, before you turn on your phone, before you sort of get up and have three bowls of tea in silence. And I did that for a year. And it's amazing how much your life changes from that experience. So, I mean, that's obviously my recommendation above everything else. But yeah, check out our YouTube channel. Uh, Wuda, who's my teacher, he also goes under Aaron Fisher. So he has a number of books, uh, The Way of Tea, Tea Medicine, um, and a few others that are all really worth checking out. Um, yeah, besides that, I think the drinking of the tea is much more transformational than any other bits of information you pick up, while Beautiful. they all might be inspiring. Cool, and one, uh, any last one kind of message well, the world is that at three cups of tea before <laughs> three cups a day that's the medicine yeah it keeps the doctor away yeah um yeah no i i think honestly like i mean as i say for me like it is that it's um it's taking time to reflect on ourselves and then creating space for others to do the same for the good of all beings and for the good of our planet and we really have to sort of i think uh, switch our focus in the world, all of us, away from ourselves and, and to the, the beauty of this miracle of this world that we live on, you know, like as I said, like my teacher says, like, if you go back four generations, you can't statistically count the, or you know, computer on earth could calculate the, the statistical probability of you being here. I mean, whether or not you believe in God or anything, you're a miracle. And the fact that we're floating through space in this, this blue ball of magnum rock and who knows what the hell is going on? I mean, we're in a universe that's expanding beyond anything we can understand, and then it's probably going to contract and explode. And like, we're just in the middle of this absolutely magic, cosmic play, and we have no idea what's going on. No matter how much you tell me, we know through science it's sort of just a drop. And so we should live in that and honor that and listen more and listen to ourselves more and honor ourselves more and listen to others more, look more deeply in other people's eyes and honor them as this absolutely miracle that we get to be in contact with and this world that we get to live in, which is an absolute just honor and treat it as that. Be stewards into this earth, be stewards into other people and be stewards into ourselves. Beautiful. Oh, well, nah. I'll drink a tea to that. <laughs> Oh, thanks, brother, for like just sharing and taking me through it today and doing your work. It's uh, it's really inspiring. So I appreciate your time, and I look forward to yeah, sharing another couple soon and and enjoying the yeah the countryside and everything we've got around here. It's great, and getting to learn the the one thing I really was thinking about was just how many people I could share this experience with. So mm. it'd be great to see you guys in in Taiwan and uh, bring it back to New Zealand. I think it's something we all need. So. All the best, brother. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs>
think less, experience more, drink more tea, and we'll tune in with some wonderful podcasts. I'm really going to hammer it this, uh, take it to the next level, set a new standard, as Tony would say, Tony Robbins, uh, this 2017. But why wait till 2017? I'm getting started now and uh, trying to tee up the, the year's events ahead of time and uh, make it happen. So hopefully you can do the same. And uh, as always, best uh, thank you as a review, comment, insta like, hug on the street, doing something good for a friend, brewing a tea for yourself, any or all of the above, or just enjoy that yeah, you're listening here. That's much appreciated. So lots of love. Merry Christmas. Feliz Navidad. In Spanish is Merry Christmas. Didn't even know that. Good song. And another good song by Franco Hickey. Namashiva to play you out. Sing along if you like. It's good for the soul. And the last little piece, the XX on hold song at the moment. is It's a club bang. It's a game changer. Get down the summer playlist. That's enough from me. Adios amigos. Think less, experience more. Hope you dug it.